No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schapp. It was a monumental week in New York. There was the retirement of Eli Manning and there was the captain. Derek Jeter gliding into the Hall of Fame with not 100, but 99.7% of the vote to consider Jeter's legacy, his achievements, his accomplishments, and a remarkable baseball career. We welcome his Boswell, Jack Curry of the Yes Network and formerly the New York Times, who co-wrote with Jeter his autobiography more than 20 years ago, The Life You Imagine. Jack, thank you for being with us this week. Jeremy, it's great to talk to you. You saw the whole thing, beginning to end, uh, 20 years. Um, when you think about this moment for Derek Jeter, which has been a foregone conclusion for a very long time, what immediately comes to mind? I think the fact, Jeremy, that he was able to survive, more than survive, thrive in New York for 20 seasons, put up the numbers and the resume that he did, sixth most hits of all time, five World Series, captain of the Yankees, and not only do it on the field, but never have a hint of controversy off the field. You and I have both covered many an athlete who were swallowed up by the distractions or the temptations of New York. Jeter never let that happen to him. And in working on that book, I, I think I traced some of the solution and some of the reason why. Talking to his mother, father, grandmother, sister, high school friends, they said that Derek Jeter that got to New York – as a starting shortstop in 1996 at the age of 21 slash 22, that was the same Derek Jeter they knew as a 14 or 15 year old. That that he was committed, he was disciplined, he was mature. He had this goal and he was going to chase it down. And I I know millions of kids had that goal to play for the Yankees. Jeter actually made it happen. We're speaking to Jack Curry of the Yes Network, who's covered Derek Jeter's entire career as a player in New York, all two decades of it. The five. World Series championships, the Rookie of the Year award, the 3,000 hits. And Jack, you got to know him, of course, on a personal basis as well. Um, I, I was around, I was one of those guys who was around occasionally, and I'd see him once in a while, and and I developed, honestly, a, a fondness for him. But to be around him every day, that constant exposure for 20 years, how would you describe him on that personal level? Jeter, Jeter was consistent. Uh, a lot of Reporters who covered him rightfully said when you would walk away after a 10-minute interview with Jeter, man, he, he answered all the questions, but, but he didn't really say a heck of a lot. Right. And I think, I think that was by design. One of Jeter's favorite players, in fact, his favorite player growing up was Dave Winfield. He had a poster of Dave Winfield on his wall. He talks about the reason that he started his Turn 2 Foundation was because he heard Dave Winfield started a foundation, and Winfield had some tough times with the media in New York, tough times with the owner in New York, and Jeter digested all of that, and I think when he came to New York, it was his plan that I'm going to be courteous, I'm going to be cordial, but I am never going to say something that is going to end up putting me on the back page. Now, in one-on-one settings, when you talk to Jeter, I absolutely think he was better in one-on-one settings. You could talk baseball with him. He would talk about the importance of his family and his life. And, and that's one of the things, Jeremy, that I think should be highlighted. And I'm not looking to criticize other players, but 
I've had a lot of players who, who will mention family and throw family out there, and then an action will occur that will make you say, wow, that didn't jive with what they just said. Jeter's relationship and the importance of it with his parents and his sister is 100% sincere. He told me that he talked to his mother or his father every day of his major league career, and I absolutely believe that is true. It's interesting, um, as someone, again, who, who covered them, um, you know, once in a while when a big game rolled around or during the playoffs, but you were there all the time. You know, my sense was, you know, he was a leader, obviously, and much was made of his leadership abilities, but he was that quiet leader. He wasn't, he wasn't Paul O'Neill. He wasn't like those veterans who were on those teams that won, uh, the four out of five between 96 and 2000. When those guys left, what kind of leadership did Derek Jeter exert in that clubhouse and on the field? Well, I think Jeter had a, a co-captain of sorts. One of his best friends in baseball of all time is Jorge Posada. And when you talk to players in those Yankee years, they said that Posada was the fiery sort. Posada was the guy who might get in your face in the clubhouse. As you just said, Jeter was more of a lead-by-example and it might be a stare or a glare if you were late for a meeting, if you were late for stretching. And he did like to get on guys in the clubhouse, but I think that his method of being a leader, Jeremy, and you already hinted at it, was follow what I do. And Yankee players and executives used to say this all the time. If your best player on a tapper back to the mound is running like his pants are on fire. Well, everybody in the dugout should take notice of that. And how often do we see that nowadays? A, a player taps the ball to second base, and they're, they're, it's the slow trot, the loaf to first base. Mm. You watch every at-bat of Derek Jeter's career. That never happened. So that, that's how I think he manifested himself as a leader. What was it like for him all those years? And he's already established as a superstar. He's already you know, basically been... Um, uh, uh, turned into a marble statue in New York. He's so revered here. When Alex Rodriguez gets to New York in 2004, and then they end up sharing for a long time the left side of the infield. How did that relationship work? How did how did Derek feel about it? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that relationship up. In our book, which came out 20 years ago, and, and A Rod was still a, a competitor. A-Rod did a, a little sidebar, a little 500-word sidebar about their friendship and their relationship. We know that subsequently A-Rod was quoted in Esquire magazine, and I'm paraphrasing here, but where he said something along the lines of, Jeter's not the guy who's going to beat you. He's not the first guy you look to take down when you're facing the Yankees. It might be O'Neal or Tino or Bernie. And those words stung Jeter, and Jeter wasn't happy. We, we all know the history there that a-Rod tried to apologize. I think Jeter said he accepted it. And wow, suddenly now that guy is next said, to you. Said he but accepted he, it. Here's the thing about him. Uh, Jeter wanted to win, and A-Rod made them a better team. And so having A-Rod 50 feet to his right, I think Jeter and A-Rod survived together. I don't think they were the greatest of friends anymore, but I, I think they understood for the common good this is how the Yankees were going to win, and they eventually did in 2009. Jack, I, I'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't get to the one out of 397 element of the story this week. <laughs> I'll tell you, my perspective is like, big deal. 
Who cares? You know, one out of 397. But it is a big deal because now the Hall of Fame isn't just about getting in. It's about what percentage you got. And of course, that wasn't the story for the vast majority of the history of enshrinement in the Hall of Fame. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, controversy? I'm going to tell you an exchange I had with Jeter. We had him on our Yes Network, Derek Jeter Hall of Fame special the other night. And I asked that question. I said, Derek, the huge, bold headline is Derek Jeter goes into the Hall of Fame. Somewhere down in the lower half or the bottom of the story, it says one person did not vote for him. How do you feel about that? And the first words out of Jeter's mouth were, I don't care. He said, listen, I'm going to focus on the men and women who did vote for me. I'm in the Hall of Fame. That's what matters. And then after a little bit of a pause, he said, Hey, Jack, were you the one guy? So he had a little bit of fun with it because I, I still have a Hall of Fame vote. And no, I, I was not the one person. I, I think oh, that was going to be my next question. All right. Derek <laughs> got me. to it first. All right. It was not me. Uh, and then Shaggy, the reggae song, the reggae guy, have a song. It wasn't me. That was, so it wasn't me. You but, say um, so. drop, I have to drop a little musical uh, knowledge in there. I, I think along the lines of you, you do not get a bigger plaque. You do not get better placement because you were unanimous. Would it have been really nice symmetry for he and Mariano to go in at 100% in back-to-back years? Yes, it would have. But when we start going down through history, Jeremy, and we, we recount all of the players who were not unanimous, which is everybody except Mariano Rivera, right. I have a hard time getting all worked up about it. Yeah, this was not, uh, I, I think I said this, the railroading of Captain Dreyfus or the Lufthansa heist, uh, although right. you would have thought so in New York. Jack Curry, uh, it's always a pleasure, and especially this week, as I said, Derek Jeter's Boswell, the co-author with Derek Jeter of The Life You Imagine, Jack tells me, is still in print and available on Amazon. Jack, uh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I enjoyed it.